Then some of his disciples said amongst themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I should pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Father, we are just so thankful that by your grace you sustain, and by your grace you overcome. And Lord, we just look to you today. We ask for you to bless us and speak to us, Lord, and to challenge us through your word. We glorify your name, and uh, Lord, we continue to just ask that you would touch and that you would heal our brother Greg, who needs a miracle. Lord, that you would touch and you would heal baby Benjamin, who needs a miracle. We pray for his parents, for John and Rachel, Lord, to be blessed and encouraged and strengthened. Lord, we thank you for Kelly making it home from Haiti. We pray, God, that you would protect her husband, John Wildo, there in Haiti. And Lord, that you would touch him as he has physical struggles going on, Lord. Lord, we, we fix our eyes on you. When all the things that we face may seem difficult or frustrating, Lord, we just fix our eyes on you because we know that you're able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. We trust in you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning once again. It is a, a great privilege and blessing, as always, to be together and glorify the Lord together. Today, 
in continuing our study through John's gospel, finishing chapter 16. Um, these, really, these are the final words, uh, that, the final words really of this teaching, of this preaching. Jesus is preaching to his disciples. Guys, you gotta listen. These are important words. And now these, in chapter 16, we look at today are the final words of uh, that Jesus has to give in this upper room discourse with his disciples before John 17, which is now Jesus is going to teach him to pray. Uh, chapter 17 is all prayer, and that's the focus. But now these are the words that are essential, and he closes out these, uh, this teaching to the disciples. And we're going to look at today, in these important words, six points, and, and, and the first being the departure of Jesus, and the rest of them being what the departure of Jesus would usher in. The depart, departure of Jesus would bring other things and, and really the good news of the departure of Jesus. Last week, we began to even look at that in, in the coming of the Holy Spirit and how that was the departure of Jesus was essential for the Holy Spirit to come on the scene. And we're going to see more of that as we continue. But in verse 16 here, as Jesus says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. And the disciples as it explains to us here, the disciples are clearly confused by these words of Jesus. A little while and you won't see me. A little while after that, you will see me. What is he talking about? The disciples are legitimately very confused, but also they're troubled in the midst of these sayings of Jesus. And, and we know that Jesus has, throughout this word to the disciples, has challenged them and said to them over and over again, hey, you're going to face trouble, you're going to face trials, things are going to be difficult, you will face suffering. But he says many different times in different ways, don't be troubled by it. You can overcome it. Don't be discouraged or deterred by these things, but press on. And you can have hope and you will have peace and there's all this good news. But you will face trouble. This first point here, Jesus is going to depart. A little while longer and you will not see me. Jesus is speaking here of his coming arrest and crucifixion. The disciples are struggling. They're struggling over this. They are confused by it and they are troubled by it. Where is he going? When is he going? Why is he going? Why would the Messiah need to or want to depart or even allow this departure to take place? Shouldn't the Messiah be building his army? Right? And this is the perspective that the disciples have in this day. They have followed Jesus. They have come to believe in him as the Messiah, as the savior of the world. And now he says, guys, I'm leaving. So in their minds, why is he leaving? What is going on here? And when is it going on? And, and specifically, altogether, they did not understand. They didn't understand. And what they did is they had a little conference, a little meeting about not understanding the words of Jesus. They will call it the a little while conference because that's the word that they specifically focused in on is this saying, this statement 
They didn't understand any of these words of Jesus. They were lacking and they knew it. And so they turned to each other. I'm not going to him. You go to him. No, I'm not. Let's just talk. Let's figure it out. Let's figure out what Jesus is talking about here a little while. What does that mean? And this word, this terminology, as it is in the English language, uh, it's, it's a saying, a little while. And in their language, it would be a figurative speech, a little while. What does that really mean? When I ask my wife, are you ready to go? She says, yeah, in a little while. <laughs> oh, boy. Right? Or, or, or my kids say, hey, Daddy, can I, can I have a snack? Yes, in a little while. Can I play a video game? Yes, in a little while. Now, oftentimes, they start to lose it, right? That, oh, man, they came, oh, why a little while? Or my wife says, in a little while. I'm like, oh, we're never leaving the house. Why? Because I have no idea what a little while means. I've learned through experience to know that a little while doesn't mean right now. And probably doesn't mean five minutes from now either. And my kids, through experience, have learned that a little while means wait. It means it's not happening right now. And you see, there's a perspective here. If you're driving in a car and somebody's giving you directions, which is very foreign to us these days. We have machines giving us directions now instead of people. But if you're driving in a car with somebody in the passenger seat, and, and I, I, recently I was driving with a friend, he was telling me where to go, and he said, yeah, in a little while, in a little bit, you're gonna take a right. So I am driving with anticipation. A little while. Okay, how about now? Is this a turn? No, that's not it. Is this a turn? No, that's not it. Is this a turn? No, that's not it. But I am driving with anticipation and in preparation to make the turn that's coming in a little while. And so this statement of Jesus, a figurative statement, a little while, is all about preparation. And he's saying, in a little while, it's coming. The arrest is coming. The crucifixion is coming. The suffering is coming. They don't know when, but they want to know when. And so they're having their little committee gathering about what a little while means. Does that mean five minutes? Does it mean 10? Does it mean five days? Does it mean 10 days? Does it mean a month? Does it mean a year? But how about perspective on what a little while actually is? You see, Peter writes about it. First Peter chapter 1 Verse six, he says this, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A little while, what does that mean? It means wait. It means be prepared. A little while in Peter's writing meant this life, it's just a little while. In the picture of eternity, it's just a little while. 
So what does that tell us that Jesus is saying to his disciples in this perspective that Peter gives us, that Peter was there and he heard Jesus say a little while, and now Peter writes those words, 1 Peter chapter 1, and says, a little while, it's just this life. And if need be, we might be grieved by various trials for a little while. It's nothing because as sojourners, as pilgrims, as followers of Jesus Christ, we will see him face to face. We will be in eternity with him. So that little while is nothing. And that little while teaches me to walk by faith and not by sight. That little while tells me that I've got to wait and I've got to walk forward in preparation that the turn is coming. That the suffering is coming. That the return of Jesus is coming. So they have their meeting. They're gathered together. They're like, well, what does a little while mean? Let's figure it out. They're, they're still thinking in these terms to just want to know when is this happening? Why? So they could prepare themselves. But Jesus has been doing the work of preparation. We've been studying it for several weeks. This whole upper room discourse is Jesus preparing his disciples to do ministry without him present there, but with the Holy Spirit empowering them instead. There was a focus that they had still of how do we do it? How do we prepare for the work? How do we prepare for this coming persecution? How do we prepare for the coming, the crucifixion, for the things that Jesus is telling us are going to happen? How do we prepare ourselves? Jesus is saying, guys, I've been preparing you. Have the little while perspective. Walk by faith. So now we continue, verse 19, and we're gonna see now the things that the departure of Jesus would usher in. And the first is the disciples' sorrow, verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, what, that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful. First of all, Jesus knows exactly what is going on. He knew the disciples had their little committee meeting. He knew that they were discussing what a little while means. But he also knew that they had a need. And that need, yes, it was for answers. Yes, it was for an understanding, but he knew their greater need. That was beyond an understanding of their minds. It was an understanding in their heart. They needed an understanding of sorrow. And so Jesus gives them this picture, you will lament. You will suffer. You will be sorrowful. He still doesn't answer what a little while means. He'll do that later. Right now, he says, a little while doesn't matter. What matters is you understand in your heart that this suffering is coming. Jesus knows their need, and he even knows their greater need. 
their need to, to understand what he's saying, but their need to walk with him in understanding in their heart. You see, they were having this meeting about his words without going right to the source. They didn't meet with Jesus. They met with one another. We need to go to the source. We so often go about living our lives and walking through a a walk with Jesus without going to the source, Jesus. And Jesus, meanwhile, is there like, I know what's going on. I know your doubts. I know your concerns. I know your suffering. I know your pain. I know your sorrow. So why are you going other places? Why are you turning to one another and having a gathering about it and trying to figure out the answers of this figurative speech rather than just going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need you? Because that's what they needed. They needed more understanding through relationship with Jesus. But Jesus wants them to understand this, your sorrow. Jesus not only wants them to understand sorrow, but he himself knows sorrow because he was acquainted with sorrow. Isaiah chapter 53 verse three says, he is despised, and rejected, speaking of Jesus, a prophecy of Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Jesus knows sorrow because he was a man of sorrows, because he was acquainted with sorrow. Because as we talked about last week, he's about to put suffering on display on the cross. He's about to put sorrow on display on the cross. So he knows, he gets it. He knows your struggles, he knows your sorrows of what you've gone through, what you're going through, and what you will go through. And that's what he's telling the disciples you will be sorrowful. I know what you're going to go through. You don't actually know it yet. But I know it. He knows the coming pain. He knows the coming loss that they're going to experience. He knows the coming uh, suffering and persecution they're going to experience. He knows the coming humiliation that they're going to experience and the shame because of his death on the cross. He knows the defeat that they would feel even though it wasn't true, was it? through his death on the cross. And Jesus knows your sorrow, your present sorrow, your past sorrow, whatever you're facing right now. And he knows the coming sorrow of whatever it might be. And he calls us to this. We continue, verse 20. But your sorrow will be turned to joy. It will turn to joy. This is our next point. The disciples' joy. The disciples didn't know or understand their coming sorrow, but they also didn't know or understand their coming joy. It's gonna happen. You're gonna experience joy that you've never experienced before, and it comes through sorrow. 
Jesus will turn sorrow into joy. But listen, true joy comes from a place of sorrow and defeat. It's really easy to be joyful if our circumstances are really good, right? We can have joy easily when things are going really well. Like, oh, this is great, life is wonderful. But when things are not so good, then we can experience true joy. Jesus didn't say that joy would replace sorrow. He didn't say he was going to take away sorrow, but that he understands sorrow and he's gonna turn your sorrow into joy. And it's only Jesus who can do that. We face some significant sorrows in this life. The greatest sorrow we face is death. It's the loss. They're about to face it. That's the great pain and sorrow that we face in this life. But somehow, through Jesus Christ, we can experience joy. Somehow. My wife and I, we have experienced great sorrow in life. And I can't tell you how many times we have repeated that to ourselves. What would we do without Jesus? Because we would sorrow without hope. We would not be able to turn sorrow into joy. Now listen, what turns sorrow into joy? It's life. So death, that... that, that sorrow that we face, that sting that we face, that Jesus himself wept over sin and death and unbelief. It's turned to joy through life. It's turned to joy through the resurrection. And Jesus will use here childbirth as an example. Jesus uses this. He says, look, a woman no longer remembers the anguish of Childbirth. Now, I can't speak firsthand here, but I talked to my wife about it. So I have a witness, and she could tell me, she told me, she said, Listen, I remember the pain, but the joy far outweighs the pain. You don't look at your children, moms, am I right? You don't look at your children and just say, Ugh, I'll never forget that day right? It doesn't happen because you look at your children and you have joy because of the life. You don't look at them with sorrow, remembering only the anguish. No, what the the translation here is talking about in, in remembering is that we're not remembering the anguish, is that the joy far outweighs the anguish, but the joy wouldn't come without the anguish. That's real joy. It comes through the sorrow. You know what my wife told me as well is that when she gave birth, after giving birth, each of the four times, she felt empowered 
with this confidence that life was brought into the world. And that's what we experience through joy. That's what we experience through sorrow that brings joy is an empowerment, a confidence that we can move and we can walk forward in faith because of the life that is in Christ. Now, what are we talking about? It all comes back to this, guys, the resurrection. When we see Jesus face to face, either through death or through rapture, we will experience joy because of eternal life. When we experience loss, when we experience sorrow in this life, we can have joy knowing that those who have gone before, the men and women of faith who have gone before, are with Jesus. And so we can have joy because of the life that comes after death. We can have joy because of our life that comes after death because of the little while that we may have been grieved by various trials, but we see him glorified. And when we see not just the risen, but the glorified Christ, we'll know, we'll have joy. John, who's here, he's part of the disciples who are questioning amongst themselves. Who, who, he's part of the, the committee. He's part of the meeting, talking about what this means. What is Jesus talking about? Trying to gain understanding. He gains understanding. Eventually, he writes this in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He makes all things new. And in that newness, in that resurrection, there is no more pain, no more tears. There's no crying. It's like no crying aloud in heaven. But you see, he, he's the one who wipes away your tears. He doesn't just take them away. He doesn't just eliminate the tears. He wipes away the tears. And he makes all things new. We will remember our sorrow no more. We will remember our pain no more. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. As he's always been trying to teach them, guys, it's all about eternity. It's all about heaven. That joy is coming. And listen, the eventual joy of the disciples is perhaps the greatest evidence of the resurrection. The disciples didn't walk around after Jesus died and after Jesus resurrected saying like, man, this is miserable. Jesus died. He rose. So through the resurrection, we see great confidence. You can look through the, through the book of Acts 
There's nobody who's sorrowful over the death of Jesus as they move forward in ministry. Nobody. What does that tell us? He didn't stay dead. It is great evidence for the resurrection. That same joy in you and in me today is still great evidence for the resurrection. Perhaps the greatest evidence. We gather together, hundreds of people, every Sunday. We don't know each other. We're getting to know each other. We give each other hugs, right? We smile, we laugh, we hang out, we give out candy out of trunks after church today. I mean, this is all crazy stuff, right? We lift our hands together in worship. We sing songs together. Who do you sing songs with in life? We sing songs together, a praise to God as the body of Christ, right? All of this, it's joy. We're expressing joy. Why? Because the resurrection actually happened. Otherwise, we would be showing up as a bunch of dead men and women walking. And we would just show, hey, how's it going? Oh, you know, life's miserable. <laughs> Do you know Jesus died on the cross? Oh, so sad. Right? And we have this perspective, even like Good Friday. It's like a dark day. And for many years, like, I mean, churches will, will have a Good Friday service and like everything's really serious and really quiet, somber, like a memorial service on Good Friday. Guys, we know, hey, Jesus rose. You know that? It's good news. He didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay in the tomb. Jesus rose from the dead. And that brings us joy. And that should bring us joy every day of our lives. And that joy is the evidence of the resurrection. That's what's going to happen in the disciples this great joy, and Jesus is speaking of the resurrection. Jesus had quickly switched gears from speaking of his death and the sorrow to joy and the resurrection. That sorrow is gonna be turned to joy, and that joy, nobody can take it from you. You will rejoice. He's telling his disciples, you will rejoice when you see me again. You will rejoice when you see the resurrected Savior, when you see the risen Christ. And that joy cannot be taken away. True joy cannot be taken away because it comes with a confidence and that's what faith is, a confidence in God. Faith is a confidence in Jesus Christ, a confidence in the resurrection. The disciples had complete confidence in the resurrection. Somebody could try to tell them, no, Jesus didn't raise from the dead. They're like, but he did. And therefore, I have joy. I'm not gonna walk around miserable because I saw Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That joy can't be taken away. We continue, verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. 
In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Our next point here, guys, is access to God. The death of Jesus ushered in access directly to God. First of all, with the vision of the resurrected Christ, right? His death that brought the resurrection, that brings direct access. This direct access, and, or this, this resurrection and the vision of the resurrected Christ will leave them speechless. He says, you will ask nothing. When they see Jesus, they are not going to have questions about all of this that he's been trying to teach them. And I've said it before, when we see not just the risen but the glorified Christ face to face, we're not going to show up with our list in heaven of questions. We think, so. I've got to, I'm going to ask him when I get there. You're not asking him anything. We will be left speechless. And we will glorify Jesus. That's it. So, we'll, so as they see, first of all, the, the vision of the resurrected Christ will leave them speechless. And then next is the, the death of Jesus that brings this direct access, the resurrection that brings this direct access to God. We know that even when Jesus breathed his last, the veil of the temple was torn. The veil that separated them from the holy of holies, the presence of God was torn in that moment. direct access to God. And then Jesus is going to teach them to pray in his name to the Father. But now he says, now more clearly, more plainly, more specifically, I'm going to explain things to you so you can understand. Because in his mercy, that's what he does. No longer a figurative language, but practical and understanding was necessary, and Jesus would help them understand. And this understanding would come, first of all, through the coming of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week, but now also the understanding that comes through Jesus himself in explaining to them plainly, because sometimes we just need it made plain. And then also an understanding that would come through a prayer life, through asking in Jesus' name through fellowship with God and through direct fellowship with God. Again, going directly to the source. And he says that the Father loves you. Now, here's the access we're talking about. The Father loves you directly so you can access him directly. And this is how God designed everything. This, is, this was God's desire from the beginning. The Father loves you. This isn't about Jesus who goes to the Father and then, you know, pleads our case and says, oh, please, would you love them? No, God loves us. God loves the world that he sent his only son. God desires fellowship. And in his love, he desired for us to have direct access to him from the beginning. From the very beginning, that was God's desire, that we would have access to him. But what happened? Sin separated us from God. Not God separated us from God. 
God didn't put up a barrier. We did. We've been studying through Genesis on Wednesday nights, and we're, we're looking at this time and time again. When sin entered the world, we put up the wall. And then when God was still desiring and seeking out man in, in fellowship, what did man do? They hid from God. God gave the opportunity to be in fellowship. He said, what did you do? Hiding. It was the woman you gave me. It was the serpent. You know, it's just continue, like it's hiding out in the corner, hiding from God because the fellowship was broken. And even though God still desired fellowship, man keeps putting up the wall. So what does God do? In his love from the very beginning and in his great desire for direct access, he gave his son, Jesus. The father loves you so much directly that he gave his son to die on a cross for your sins, for my sins. And the father loves you because of this fellowship. This is what he's telling his disciples. Look, the father loves you because of your relationship with me. That fellowship with me is bringing fellowship to God. And now as Jesus goes and dies on the cross and raises from the dead, he brings fellowship with God for all of us, direct access. Verse 28. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now, we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you came forth from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace." The next point is the disciples' peace. And there's a summary here that's very important, verse 28. There's a brief explanation of some essential doctrine. As he says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. That's the explanation. I have come from the Father into the world, and again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Very basic, essential doctrine right here that Jesus, fully God, came from the Father into the world, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. This is the Gospel 101. This is essential doctrine, and Jesus is making very plain to them. He's not saying a little while. He's saying now. It's about to happen. Get ready. But not only that, listen, he, he makes that even more clear. He says, here's the essential doctrine, and now they're saying, yes, we are starting to understand you. Yes, we get it. At last, you're speaking in our language. And then in that, now we are sure that you know all things. This is a reference, this is a response to verse 19. After they had their little committee meeting, and Jesus says, hey, guys, I know what's going on over there. 
I know you're looking for answers right now. Let me help you. <laughs> and so now they're like, oh, you, how does he know? You know all things. By that, by this, we believe. And by you bringing us into understanding of, of this basic, essential doctrine, we believe that you came forth from God. And that's great, but there's more. So Jesus then, verse 31, is saying, okay, do you believe? And he's, he knows that they believe he's the son of God, come forth from God, is going, and then is gonna go back to the father. He, he knows that, they understand. They've come into this place of understanding that. But he says, do you believe? Verse 32, do you believe that the hour is coming? So he's not saying a little while now, this figure of speech, he's saying the hour is coming and has now come. That you will be scattered. Do you believe this? So you believe in me, but do you believe that the hour is here? Do you believe that what's going on right now behind the scenes, Judas has just sold me? The, the Roman soldiers are preparing to come against me. Do you believe this? Do you believe that you're going to run and hide? Do you believe that you're going to be scattered abroad? Do you believe that you will be persecuted? Do you believe all these things that I've told you, not just that I've come from the Father? Do you believe this? Do you believe that you will abandon me? But then he says, it, it's okay because I have the Father, and I tell you this so that you will have peace when you abandon me. Because it's gonna happen. Remember when Jesus says something will happen, we take it as an absolute. But these things are for your peace, that you will have peace when it happens. You have peace when the, the suffering happens. You have peace when the arrest happens. You will have peace when my, my crucifixion happens. You will have peace when the scattering happens. You will have peace when you abandon me. You will have peace knowing that the Father is with me. It's all for your preparation that they would experience peace in knowing and understanding what Jesus told them. That Jesus brings peace with God so that you would not be at enmity with God. Even though you abandoned me, there's peace. Because he would restore. And Jesus knew that they would need peace because of the coming tribulation. And we close with this in verse 33. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Final point, there's victory in Jesus. First of all, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. There's another absolute that we don't want to hear from Jesus. You will have tribulation. But that's what he tells his disciples. In this world, and what the world has to offer you is tribulation. It's suffering. It's pain. The world will throw tribulation at you. They will make you suffer, but be of good cheer. Jesus has a way about these conversations with the disciples. 
Like, hey, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. That doesn't usually go hand in hand, does it? What he's saying here, and the, the translation of being of good cheer is to be brave. To stand up to the tribulation. That doesn't mean we fight against it because it's going to happen. It doesn't mean we try to prevent it. But what is this all about? It's preparation for it. So Jesus is preparing them and warning them and telling them time and time again, this is going to happen. Things are gonna get difficult. And in this world, you will have tribulation. And that tribulation is an all-encompassing word of suffering and pain and misery. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, be brave, stand up to it. Or in other translations would say, take heart. Don't be discouraged or deterred from the mission. How and why? Because Jesus has overcome. Even though he's about to be arrested, Jesus claims victory. He claims victory now so that they could be of good cheer so that they could have peace, so that they could experience joy. He claims the victory. It doesn't look like victory, does it? When he's arrested, when he's beaten, abused, when the crown of thorns is thrust into his skull, when he's hung on a cross, when he dies, when he's buried in a tomb with a Roman guard, it doesn't look like victory, it looks like defeat. But he claims it. Here and now, I have overcome the world. He's overcome the evil and he's overcome the sin. And because Jesus has overcome, his followers have overcome. His disciples have overcome and can press on, persevere in taking on the suffering. Because Jesus has overcome, we overcome. And we can be of good cheer. We close with this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb by the word of our testimony and they did not love life love their lives to the death we will overcome by the blood of the lamb by the word of our testimony which is that we are saved by the blood of the lamb jesus has victory jesus has overcome and we can overcome. Listen, we experience joy. Somehow we can experience joy through the sorrow and peace in the midst of the chaos because of victory in Jesus. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, and we glorify your name. We thank you that you made a way, that you have given us direct access, you have given us opportunity for fellowship with the Father.
And so we look to you. And we say that we need you. Would you teach us your ways and draw us near? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then there is that wall. There's a separation But God desires for fellowship. He desires for you to have fellowship with him and for him to have fellowship with you. And in that, he's given us his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, took our place, took our punishment, and he rose from the dead to give us that victory that we were talking about, that we can overcome And what do we overcome? We overcome sin. We overcome death. We get the gift of eternal life through Jesus, through his blood. His blood that was shed on the cross. And so if you don't have a relationship with him, come to Jesus. Come into fellowship with him.